You call that radio, radio, radio. Good afternoon, Trippadors, and welcome to You Call That Radio, the audio podcast. We're back. And I thought, since it's been a little while, we would treat you to an exclusive, never heard before interview with Daniel Wiley of Cosmic Rough Riders fame. I remember seeing Cosmic Rough Riders when I was about 15 at Tea in the Park and they blew me away. That album, Enjoy the Melodic Sunshines. One of my favourites. It takes me right back. takes me right back when I listen to it. And I've been trying to get Daniel on the show for ages. He doesn't, I don't think he's got... I don't think he does the live stream thing. So it, we had to go and meet in person. And this, actually, we did film it. It has been filmed. But it's not been edited properly yet for various different reasons. I'll not go into all of that. But I thought, I think it will it'll probably appear on the YouTube channel at some point. But in the meantime, I thought, let's give the audio podcast listeners an exclusive. Because I know that I feel I feel like a, I neglect you sometimes because obviously doing so much on the live stream YouTube channel, which if you didn't know, that's where most of the Call That Radio stuff happens these days. On the website, you call that.com or on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. We're doing some maths there and I think we've done 350 live streams since lockdown began in March 2020. So if you're needing more stuff, then they're the places to go. None of these shows are possible without the support of our patrons. Thank you so much for all your support. If you enjoy the audio podcast or the live stream podcast or anything that we do on the website or all the events that we've started putting on again, then you can join the Mince and Tatties crew for as little as £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio and that gets you some bonus stuff and access to the big mad raffles that we do as well thank you so much for your support and yeah i'm really excited for you to hear this an absolute legend in the scottish music scene is daniel wiley and shout outs to astronomic and praise for recording us shout outs to murfamish for mastering the audio and join the hat for filming it we hope that the video footage will appear on our channel very soon. Enjoy the show. We are live from the unnamed studio. Thanks to Astronomic and Praise for having us here today. <laughs> and thanks to John the Hat for, for filming us. Daniel Welly of the Cosmic Rough Riders is in the house. Um, Thank you very much. Hi. Thank you for joining me because it's it's like good talking to a real life person in real life rather than talking through a computer screen. Yeah, there's always dropouts in the conversation and it like goes all mangled like someone's like um, trying to strangle you. Yeah, I will. I, I've got mangled a few times during yeah. lockdown, <laughs> but I'm, I'm off it again. <laughs> <laughs> So I just it, it's it's good because obviously I was going to get you. I tried to get you on the, the internet TV show, but it's, it's not really your thing. Or? I don't have a phone. I don't have a mobile phone. Um, my wife's got one. I probably could have did it through her phone, but it becomes annoying for her. So, <laughs> so you can't get your phone for her. Yeah. 
nightmare. Um, well, I appreciate it anyway, and it's good to do something in real life. I haven't been a massive fan of yours since I can't remember what age I was, but I think it was uh, Tea in the Park, maybe 2000, 2001. We could be either or, 2000 or 2001. I think we, I put, I've played it about five times, so I think, well, I think it, was, it was during, because I think I heard about you when back in those days you couldn't hear a band, you know, it wasn't it wasn't any kind of internet, not whether we have now. Yeah. So you'd read about a band in the NME. And you go, oh, yeah. that sounds up my street. And you yeah. listen to how they describe it. And obviously, yeah. a new Scottish, it was a Scottish band as well. So it was like Cosmic Rough Riders, what a name. And I think we went to. <laughs> what maybe the King Touch Tent. King, King, yeah, yeah, the first time we played was the King Touch Tent. I think the second time was was it the NME Tent or whatever. It they might be the NME it? as well. 5,000 or something in that one. It could have been the NME one. I, I remember being in, I remember it was inside a tent. Yeah. And I remember being absolutely just, it was magical. It was magical, obviously. You know what music's like, when, especially when I think you're between the ages of 14 and 18. Oh, yeah. It just captures yeah. you. There's something about yeah. the music then. And it, enjoy the melodic sunshine. It just, I think I went and bought it. I don't know if I bought it just, just before I, right, I went there or just after I, because I'd seen the yeah. gig. But it just blew me away. And we're just out of a heat wave right now. And I was just listening to it again. And the songs just take you right back. I mean, tell us about that album. If well, we could just start with that one. I mean, the album was recorded in a studio in a basement of a converted butcher's shop called C-Sharp. It was C-Sharp Studio, and it was a community studio in Castlemilk. And um, the guys who ran it uh, allowed us to go in at night and record when the place would otherwise be closed. And um, so we were starting maybe about 7 o'clock at night and working through like 3 in the morning. And we did that for three months, uh, working on the album. Um, mostly just two of us, Stephen Fleming and myself. Um, we we did bring in other people when we get sick of the sight of each other's faces, <laughs> and um, people to do things that maybe we couldn't do or they could do better. But um, it you know it was three months solid of late night sessions, and um, you know I think we knew we were making something good. You know the songs were written by me. But everything else we did together, it was what I'd call like real teamwork. So eventually, you know, when when that album was pieced together, it was actually two different albums. The album we actually recorded was an album called Panorama, and nine of those songs went on to enjoy the melodic sunshine. And there was, I think, maybe three from the first album, Deliverance, which I re-recorded because they were basically demos. And I wrote a few new songs and added, and it became Enjoy the Melodic Sunshine. But, um, you know, it's just, it's hard to explain that you can make an album for no money, just using up spare time in the studio that wouldn't otherwise be used. It can then go on, take you on a life journey and, you know, take you around the world traveling, put you on TV, talk to the pops, all that stuff get your record deals, put you in the, the top 40 and all that. It's just when did you when did you notice that, the, obviously you, you kind of knew early on that the album was, was good enough, but when did you start to notice that you were get it was it was going, it was going down well and things were starting to happen? Mate? Well, the main album that got us noticed, you know, the first two albums were self-released. I released them on my own. And um, Alan McGee got to hear, hear those records. And uh, basically... 
one of my friends, the graphic designer who's designed those record sleeves, was in a band called H2O with Alan McGee at one point. So he messaged Alan McGee and said, this guy's got some really great songs, you should sign them and, and stuff. And he got the records, he got the CDs. But in the meantime, I'd found myself a manager, a guy, Dougie Sooners, who also manages the Hue and Crying, wet, wet, wet. He got interested, and him, him and his wife knew Alan McGee. So they went down to some festival, and his wife met Alan. And Alan had said, what's Dougie doing? And she said, he's managing this band called Cosmic Rough Riders. And Alan said, oh, one of my mates sent me their stuff. I need to really dig into it. And, and they came back and they said, it's really good, but I want to pick the best tracks for the two albums. And then when we were signing the deal, he's like, could you write us another couple just to freshen it up? Because uh, one of the albums had only been out a few months. And so he wanted to relaunch it. It's a different record. So that's when he got interested, but it's quite- What was the two, the two songs you added? A uh, song called Sometime which was, uh, was actually a compilation of three songs that I'd written that I never liked. <laughs> and I liked a part of each of the songs. And I, I tried, it was an experiment, meld the three parts. Super band yeah, of was, songs. Yeah, super song. Super song out of three duffers, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so that and Melanie, which it took, Melanie took me about five minutes to write. Um, and then there was a wee kind of Beach Boys tribute called Morning Sun, which ends the album. But, um, do you know, it's, it's, it's quite amusing because I was a massive fan of all the creation acts. So when McGee got interested, as other people were interested at the time as well, but he's the one I wanted to go with because a lot of my favourite bands were on creation. And then to be in the room doing a showcase and he's jumping about in front of the stage, you know, he's like, he's like, do you want a record deal? Do you want a record deal? You are brilliant, man. You know, when you're like, ah, of course we want a record deal. That's why you're here. There's so many bands in creation. Yeah. I, read, I read Alan's book last summer, or I think it was the summer before, because we don't yeah. count that last year, do we? Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was away on holiday, yeah, it must have been a couple of years ago now, mm -hmm. two years ago, and yeah, you're just like, every single band there is just incredible. Yeah, he's, he had great taste. I mean, he didn't find all the bands himself. He had a good A&R staff, but nobody gets signed unless Alan liked him. You know, he, he he's the main man, but... I've heard so many stories from about all these bands over the years, you know. Um, so I, I don't know if reading the book's a good idea because I, <laughs> I think I've already had it in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 so Pop Tones, how long were you on Pop Tones for? Well, it was, uh, do you know, we were on that, that album for, it was Enjoy the Melodic Sunshine was in Pop Tones and that was to be the only album because McGee was wanting to shift us on to Warner Brothers because they wanted to sign us. Like, and to him, they were a bigger label at the time than Pop Tones. Um, but then when I left the band, um, uh, they released a compilation called Pure Escapism, which was all the stuff on the B-sides and tracks that never made it onto the album. You know, and these were, like, in my opinion, they were good songs. And we had this thing from the start where I said, we don't even put out a duff B-side. You know, everything's got to count. So if you put out a single for the album, you need like two songs for CD, one, two for CD, two, and one for the vinyl. They've all got to be high quality songs. You know, we don't want anybody to buy anything and be disappointed in anything that we do. 
So that album's actually really good, and the reviews for that were almost as good as enjoying melodic sunshine. So. It's, it's, it's a bit of one to decide what is a B side and what's an album yeah. track when you're holding it up to that. B side's a song that you've written at that moment when you need one. Yeah, you know it doesn't. You know the songs on that album that could easily have made it on to enjoy the melodic sunshine. It's just that the time when I'd, I'd written them, or you know some of the guys in the band wrote some of those B sides, and Steve and I produced them. But um, if we needed a song, and it was a good way for to let the other guys in on the writing as well. Because, you know, let's face it, the writer gets most of the money. And if I'm writing everything that's on the album, it seems unfair to them. So they get an opportunity to make some money uh, writing stuff that ended up in the B-sides. And the plan was in the future for everybody to write, rather than just me. Everybody, anybody who had a good song would have an equal opportunity to have a song on the next album. But then I did fall out with some of them after that. Left it's hard band. to know for what band members was it? It's like it's, it's difficult, yeah. yeah. It's five eagles in the one room, you know, and I was just doing my own thing. I'd made two Cosmic Rough Riders albums on my own. These were new guys, they've never really played on the records, but you know, I was willing long term to have them all involved properly um, and become a proper band. But it, 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 you know, I think maybe they wanted it too quick. And uh, I wanted to like hold on a wee bit longer before I was ready to let go of the reins, you know, control freak in me. Um, but you know, they've gone on. They 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 went on and made a couple of good albums on their own. And I've I think I've made seven albums now since I left. So you know, still continuing to make music. And that brings up to the new album, which is fantastic, by the way. Atoms and Energy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Atoms and Energy was meant to be a stopgap album. I was going to make an album with um, two acoustic guitars, uh, a lead vocal and a harmony vocal, and then maybe some percussion, you know, like conga drums or, or you know, tambourine, and a sprinkling a piano on a couple of songs, and that was it. But one, once we got going and we got to that stage, a uh, co-producer on the album, Johnny Smiley, said to me, he's like, I think these songs deserve like a better setting. And, uh, it just evolved and then lockdown happened and I couldn't get into the studio so basically what you hear in that album is a lot of the arrangements are what Johnny came up with on his own because he could only be in the studio on his own and uh, you know he would send me stuff online, he'd email me stuff and I had to I had to decide whether I liked it and then if I didn't like it I would send him a few ideas of mine until we came here conclusion an album that we like. I mean nothing's ever going to replace the magic of having a jam in the room and that no. feeling of it all just gelling together but I'm so grateful that we have these devices especially during <laughs> lockdown because I don't know what we would have did yeah. in the late 90s during a lockdown I don't know how that would have happened well, especially for collaborating I've been lucky to get people sending me tracks and still been able to have a bit of creativity yeah. going on well, I don't have anything in the studio to record on, but in, in a, sorry, at home. But with, with Johnny in the studio, I could film myself playing things and send him ideas. And then he would send me back what he thought the arrangement should be like. But the previous two albums to this um, were recorded mostly live with a full band in the studio. And that's what I'm going back to for the next one. But So that's a one-off album, but, you know, to me, people are... I'm happy that it's getting a great reaction, but I don't think it's any better than the previous couple. 
And to me, I'm grateful for the, the fuss over this one, but I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it was just good to listen to. I don't know. I, th- I think I think Ginger Quiff did a, a review. Yeah, he, he, he sort of summed up. Yeah. I think it's maybe just way. I suppose we're locked in. We're all sort of more reflective, and yeah. you've got a very distinctive voice that that I've known. Uh, you know, growing up, and it just it was just good to hear hear you singing mm. and just talking yeah. about stuff. And it's just it's and especially last week during the heat wave, it's just it, it was just it was just perfect music for sitting in the garden and just enjoying stuff. And you're already got the next album ready. Yeah, I've well, got it. You've got it written. Sorry, see that Ginger Quiff. Uh, review. Um, he's a lovely guy, that guy. But um, I actually called my wife out of bed to read that because I thought it was so good. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best reviews anyone's ever written about my music. And I thought for somebody to get your music so completely the way that you meant for it to be, you know, soaked in by somebody listening. I mean, he absolutely got the album 100%. Um, and I probably think that because he's you know, throwing all these platitudes at me and stuff, you know. No, sure, he's the ginger coffee. He, he knows um, his tunes. He's a constant supporter. Yeah, got the next one written. I mean, during lockdown, you know, selfishly, from my point of view, lockdown was great for me. Written about 13 albums worth of what 13 I call, albums? Yeah, what I call the good stuff, not the crap. There's loads of crap as well, but... So if you include the crap stuff, how many albums? Oh, maybe about 20. <laughs> you know, but... Out of the 13, if I really narrowed it down, I, think, I reckon I'd maybe get about seven or eight like high quality, you know, no duffers. But, um, do you know, you know, that's just the selfish side of me. I know a lot of people had a tough time during lockdown. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you can still recognise that lots of people struggled over lockdown and still be honest that, yeah. I mean, there's lots of people who, who have done really well with it. Lots of people who are actually worried about real life returning because it's actually better for them. Yeah. So it's it's nothing wrong with being honest about it. I suppose as well. You, you, wait, you said you've not been playing live for for very much. So it's not like you you lost out in that 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 part of it. I think for a lot of musicians, I mean, that was probably the toughest part for me. It's not just playing gigs, but organising gigs or going to gigs and stuff. Is there any chance of you making a comeback to the live arena, or are you? Mm, I very much doubt it. I mean, I'm I'm getting old, you know, like. People don't realise, but I was um, when I was on top of the pops and all of that, and signed by Alan McGee. I was forty-one. I got a record deal at forty-one years old. Most people get them at seventeen. The rest of the band were younger. Some of those guys were like twenty-six. And um, you know, I'd already had a life before that, and then I'd done all the touring. You know, the first year I was signed, uh, I hadn't been out of the UK. I hadn't been on a plane ever in my life, and I was 41. And within a year, I'd been in 19 countries playing live. Numerous, God knows how many TV shows around the world. Uh, so it was like being on a roller coaster, and it kind of, you know, eats you up after a while, and you, you, you get to the stage where, you know, you need a break, if, especially for us, we were overworked, I think. And uh, I just needed to take some time out. And then I realised that I didn't need that anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean... And health issues as well. I've got a dodgy ticker. Yeah. So I had visions of dying on stage and stuff, you know? Having a heart attack and yeah. just like dying. 
And what was your, where was your, when you were travelling, 19 countries, was there any particular favourites that stand out? Japan. Japan? Spent oh. 16 days in Japan. Um, nine of those days I was in the same five-star hotel room, paid for by Sony, so it's good. Um, Norway. I love Norway. I love Norway, Austria, Vienna, places like that. But um, I'd probably say Japan's the number one. Went to America as well, which was good. Um, you know, stepping into things that you see on TV as a child and suddenly you're there in Texas, you know. I take it, the image always having bands go to America is just the amount of radio interviews and because obviously it's so much yeah. money involved in sending a band to the US and yeah. so your kind of pressure's on to kind of break America, so to speak. Well, you know, I'll be honest, anybody who wants to break America, you're not going to break it by going over a couple of times. You're going to have to relocate there and, and constantly tour because one state in America is big. You know, you could fit the UK into the corner of most states, eh? uh, the US. So, I mean, even the even the whole thing about driving between states, you know, it's like 16-hour drives and stuff, you know. So you can't really... It's such a vast country. The, the best way to do it is to, like, concentrate in a couple of states to break into them first and then hope that word starts spreading to the next couple. But, you know, without a major backing from record companies, you never make it in America. You never break it. Very few have. Yeah. Very few have. And I suppose it just kind of sums up how, you know, how small Scotland is in the UK. I mean, obviously, we, we sometimes just get a bit stuck in our own wee world. Yeah. But I had, uh, was talking to Abdominal, brilliant um, lyricist, writer, rapper from Toronto. And I said, Toronto rapper, and then I said to him, where are you? What's that? Because a beautiful backdrop. Where are you? And he said, the place. I went, oh, sorry, I thought you were Toronto for some reason. He went, yeah, it's Toronto. And I was like, how far away is Toronto? Four-hour drive. Mm -hmm. But you're still classed as Toronto. Yeah. So, uh, but I was going to ask about, so the last, is it, how many albums have you had out of Last Night from Glasgow? Because this one's on no, Last Night from Glasgow. Well, this is the first one. The first you one? know, uh, most of the other ones have self-released. I started, when I left Cosmic Rough Riders, I started a record label. Well, the first two I put out after I left Cosmic Rough Riders were on our management's label, Measured, Diggis Sinus' label. And then I started a label called Neon Tetra with one of my friends called David Wells. Later, later on in that label, my brother-in-law, Tony Gawkin, got involved as well. So I put the next few out in that. Um, and then I did some self-released stuff away from Neon Tetra, just on my own label. Uh, but... What I found is um, I was missing having the distribution. When I when Neon Tetra had good distribution, and it was helpful for me selling records, obviously. But I put out a couple low key on my own, and I just sold them like online to people. Any I put them on uh, e eBay, and uh, I would sell them to people on Facebook. So it was really low key. I was wasn't expecting anything, but with this one uh, last night from Glasgow came in and offered to put it out so and they've got worldwide distribution and it's I have to admit it's made a difference I think I'm shifting a lot more records and you know so suits me for the time being anyway <laughs> yeah I mean I, I just like the what the sort of ethos of last night from Glasgow like the whole idea of you know paying an annual membership in order to yeah. get so many 
albums a year and stuff. Yeah. So it's just a good way of getting some money behind the records. I actually joined it as a member myself because I thought the whole idea of the label, you know, helping bands and you know the artists get all the profits and stuff. So I wanted to be a part of helping other people as well. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing for me uh, is really just you know the distribution. You know, I work hard myself at getting reviews. I know a lot of people, I've, I've made a lot of friends in the press over the years. I can go to them and say, like, I've got a new album, we have a listen. And if they like it, they'll review it. You know, things like uncutting, shindigging people. Well, I suppose even, with, even having contacts and stuff, it's just hard to push your own music, I found. I find it easier to help, you know, a friend release something than yeah. it is because... You've got to kind of either like say check out my music, or you've kind of got to go into a weird pretending you're talking in the third person, yeah. writing a writing yeah. a bio type thing. So it kind of makes I think it's a bit of a stumbling block. So I think it's just good to have a second a bit of help there somewhere. I think if you're um, if you're a music fan, quite often you'll maybe buy a magazine, or even if it's just for a journey in a train, like uncut or Mojo or something. And if you read a review of one of my albums, like the new one. Uh, and it describes your music as sounding like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, The Birds, Love, um, R.E.M., Neil Young, as Neil Young at his best period during har uh, Harvest and After the Gold Rush. You know, it, peak, it should pique your interest enough to want to go and buy it. So, I mean, that's the way that good reviews traditionally worked. People would say, God, that sounds like my kind of thing, you know? But of course, there's so many other ways to let people hear things now. My brother made a video for one of the songs on the album for me. And he was in my house and he filmed me sitting strumming an acoustic guitar for an hour. And I went away and turned it into a video and something line there. So, and it cost me nothing. So there's different ways. YouTube never really existed back in the days of enjoying the melodic sunshine and things. So, yeah, you were you had to get on like you mean top of the pops or yeah. You had to get into that. I mean, yeah. maybe, you get maybe in a local TV, but to get into that mainstream, you need to. There's only limited opportunities. Yeah, I mean, we we had we had some great things thrown at us, you know, gifted to us when we were signed by Alan McGee because he opens a lot of doors, and um, we get things like you know supporting you too and things like that. <laughs> you know, we had two days off in Glasgow after a forty day tour. Looking forward to a rest, and the phone goes. Um, see those two days you've got off next week do you want to work and then they tell you it's like supporting you too at the SECC so yeah yeah I'll do it so you know things like that did you, and get, did you get to talk to the guys yeah yeah, yeah. what were they like yeah great I mean I'd met gets a lot of bad press didn't he yeah well I'd, I'd actually met you two at the start of the career when I was just a, a fan one of my mates Billy Sloan got me to meet them a couple of times so I got to know, you know, the, the fact that they were really good guys. Uh, but seeing them after all those years and meeting them, um, I just felt like they never changed. There was no change. I know he does get a hard time, but, you know, political stuff and all that. I mean, a lot of people say you shouldn't put politics in music, but I disagree with that. And uh, I think he does a lot of things that you don't hear about, you know, behind the scenes uh, charity work and I've never understood the whole no politics in music I understand there's a place for music that has no politics mm. but you know I want to hear P 
people's opinions on things. And yeah. I think that the I think that the artist, not every artist, it's, it's obviously up to the artist individually. But I think it's it's worth as an artist as an artist should bring up yeah. injustices or what they what they see. Yeah, I think if you're going to write a protest song, you really should know the subject that you're talking about well enough to articulate, you know, what you want to say and make your opinion valid based on the knowledge that you have of the situation you're writing about. But if you're just saying, oh, ban guns, you know, everybody thinks that. You're not actually adding anything to the conversation. You know, so you really, if, you, if you're going to write protest songs, you should know the subject well, you know, and, and be prepared for other people's opinions coming back at you. <laughs> exactly. You know, who don't agree with so you. So if you, yeah, because if you're if you're writing a political song, then it's by its very nature it's probably going to be controversial to somebody. Yeah. And if you're going to put that out there, then sadly not everyone's going to agree with you. So there may be a bit of a backlash. No, got, no, I'm just saying, you know, what you said about pop music with no politics. You know, there's plenty of room for that as well. Absolutely. You know. It's uh, you. You want sometimes you just want to go into that zone. Yeah. Where it's there's not where it's just songs about dancing and falling in love and things that you learn. I think when you're when you're in a band before you've had a record deal and you're just messing about and you might play a few gigs and a few other cities and stuff. But when you're out on the treadmill and you do TV shows and things and you meet these pop bands and you realise that, you know, despite the fact that you think your music might be more important because you've got something to say, it's not really. The world mostly doesn't see it like that. And what you do see is the amount of work these guys put in. They, they don't, they're actually in the same business as you. They might be polar opposite musically, but they deserve everything that they get because they work hard. And I think anybody who can get a record in the top 40, especially then when you have to actually sell records to get there. You know, they deserve what they get, you know, you should never knock them. You know, they might not be your cup of tea, but... We do have a little segment in the show called Name Drop. Did you meet any of what pop stars did you meet on the treadmill? Um, well, obviously I met you too. Um, that is Name Drop. Name Drop for Kate the Bush. Kate Bush, that is a Name Drop. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Wow. Um, Elvis Costello, um, who else? Ugh, lots. I mean, we played, we played some gigs with bands that I like, like the Jayhawks, who are a great band. Um, I'm trying to think. My wife probably knows more of them than I do. But um, <laughs> any any more to add? Um, the guy who sat beside you that. Oh, uh, Ian Gillen. All oh, right, okay. Deep Purple singer. Oh. Uh, I spent a whole night. You know, we were at an industry thing and we were told we were sitting at his table and nobody wanted to sit beside him because he's like a rock god and everybody was scared. So there was a big rush to the table and I was last and there was only one seat and it was next to him. But I was glad I got it because he's such an interesting guy. He was there with his wife right enough and I got some great stories from him. But <laughs> he also says, I can't tell you the good stories, the wife's here, you know. <laughs> so... um um, but, you know, I'm trying to think who else I've met. I'll probably think there's loads of them. Well, what I'm also quite interested in is uh, 
what were you saying playing top of the pops because top of the pops was that that was back when you you, you weren't allowed to play live or it was our back you're basically no, we played live you played live yeah we were the only people on our show that day who played live bjork she was i met her yeah. she was in bjork top of the pops absolute legend. um i'd always been a fan of, fan of bjork but then i i seen her at connect festival yeah Oh, do you know? And tell it was you blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. Here's a few name droppers. When I was a little boy, I used to love Starsky and Hutch. So I met David Soul, who was one of the Starsky and Hutch guys on a TV show in Belfast. And I think the guys got drunk with him after I went to bed early. <laughs> My hotel room was next door to Caprice, the supermodel. Oh, Caprice, I um, She was on it well, as I'm well. Caprice. Yeah. I've not seen her for a bit for a while. I think who else was on some of the TV shows would be. Well, see, see the, with the TV show, I've done a. Les Dennis. Les Dennis. Met him. Tell you what, Les, Les Dennis and Extras was fantastic. He was a married to Amanda in, Holden, wasn't he? You seen Imagine him, that. You seen him in Ricky Gervais Extras? <laughs> oh, it's amazing because he went on Celebrity Big Brother and they get slagged mm. after that. And then he went on Extras and just kind of set himself up brilliantly. Just, I loved the way that he yeah. just kind of turned it around on everyone. So, yeah, shouts, shouts to Les Dennis. Yeah. Black yeah, Crows. Black Crows. We toured with them. Wow. Met them. And, Great oh, I've, I've nearly forgot my prize with Asset, man. <laughs> uh, Chris Robinson was married to Kate Hudson at the time. So she was on tour with and I met, met her. I bumped into her a few times. Got a kiss off her. Wow. There was a story in the press in London that I had a, 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 what do you call it, stalker. And um, she came up to me backstage at a soundcheck in London. She was like, oh, Daniel, you've got a stalker. You've got to be careful of those guys. She came up and gave me a kiss and a cuddle. So Kate Hudson, film star of one of my favourite films, Almost Famous. Was it, is the stalker thing true that the papers make it up? No, nah, McGee probably made it up. <laughs> As, as he did most things. <laughs> he used to have band meetings and or meetings with the press people and McGee and see what crazy stories we could come up with to feed the press. It's really, it, some of them are quite amusing. And then he had a radio show in London in XFM and I'll be on it. He says, we're going to slag the Beatles tonight, right? Because <laughs> everybody loves the Beatles. And um, him and Joe Forster and myself and Stephen for the Cosmics. And he'd go, Right, we're not playing any Beatles because they're crap. Nobody likes the Beatles, they're rubbish. And the phone lights, of course, light up. And uh, that sets the tone for the night so you can go in and have people on, on the phone in between records slagging, and he will slag the Beatles and they'll be defending them. So. Did you have to slag the Beatles? I said to him, No way. <laughs> Never. I said, I was, yeah. he, he liked, he denies that he liked Alice Cooper when he was young, but he did. And he played some Alice Cooper, and I was, I was pretending not to like Alice Cooper to annoy him. Yeah, I bet he never tells you. He tells the public he likes Alice Cooper. It's a secret. Yeah, Alan's secret is Alice Cooper. Yeah. What? What is? Um, well, you, I mean, what, all the music that you share on online. Mm -hmm. I know that you're a proper music fan. You've got, you, you, you've got, you've got a wealth of knowledge on it. Would you give us a, a top? Could you could you give us a top five, top three artists of your from artists me. from your favourite artists? REM number one, Steely Dan number two, number three would probably be the Birds, number four the Beach Boys, and number five 
either Neil Young or the Beals. I'll say Neil Young because everybody says the Beals. Yeah. But I love loads of rock music. I love Deep Purple and Black Sabbath yeah. and stuff like that. And I love loads of country music for the 60s and 70s and film music and all sorts of stuff, you know. So, I mean, even though I love those five, those are probably the five main influences on my own songwriting personally. But, I mean, I listen to so many different things. Kraut Rock, man, I'm right into that. Love it. So. Repetition. Was it, was it Marquis Smith said? It's um, not repetition, it's discipline. Yeah. I, I love uh, bands like Brian Johnston Massacre as well, which is kind of a nice mixture of... Well, one of those them left you... a nice comment in one of my songs saying I liked Anton. It. Yeah, Anton. Yeah. yeah. He likes the song on that album, uh, Enjoying Melodic Sunshine. It's like, one was it again? It's The Gun Isn't Loaded. It's a great yeah, that. I remember that live at Teen the Park. What, yeah. what a great song. I'll uh, tell you a funny story about that song if, go you, for it. if you've got time. Yeah. We're in Alan McGee's club in London and um, we'd been playing in London and Alan brought Liam Gallagher and a few other folk along. I could see, we could see Liam at the back jumping about and all that. So um, we went back to, I think it was Death Disco Club in London where Alan, Alan was running. And Liam came back and a few others. And then I was talking to Liam and uh, Stephen came over and, and I, just as Liam was saying me, I love that song where the, the violin and the guitarist was giving it all that and all that. And Stephen interrupted me and he, he turned around to Stephen because he never knew him. He's never recognised him for stage. He only recognised myself. And uh, he's like, who are you then? And Steam says, I was the guy that was giving it all that and all that. <laughs> but, so, was Liam good crack? I, um, I've only met him a few yeah. times, but to me, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's, he's very different from the public image. You know, I think he's he's a lot kinder and nicer than people realise. Well, it seems to be interesting what he's doing just now. He's doing the opposite of whatever Nog says. Yeah. <laughs> Which is making him... Yeah. Well, I know their other brother, Paul, that I talked to online. Yeah. And I said, why don't you sort them out? And he's like, oh, it'd be like getting into the middle of a war. He's like, I'm, I'm better just kind of hanging around the edges and staying friends with both of them. So. <laughs> well, I suppose, it's the, will the Oasis comeback ever happen? Leave us up for it. Personally, I think it will. Yeah. I think it will happen when they get fed up enough for what they're doing yeah. you know um, well, I think Liam's up for it right now already and I think yeah. but I think Noel's is supposed to sort of enjoying what he's doing yeah but I think Noel's the one that holds grudges isn't he you know yeah. he, he once said um, he, he was interviewed reading an NME once and uh, Cosmic Rough Riders just happened to be in that edition of NME and he, the quote from him was it's now Cosmic about them or something yeah. and I thought yes we've arrived slagged by Noel Gallagher <laughs> yeah but then you see Noel at Tina Park he's, he's, he's constantly walks about with a bodyguard I think he's insulted so many people he needs the bodyguard in case somebody puts one on him <laughs> uh, this doesn't really help I think he's turned into a Tory as well this may really oh, make him popular dear. backstage I know dreadful uh, it, seem, it seems that way yeah. but uh, I man we'll, we'll just, just got to wrap it up quite soon but just uh, for people who want to check out your new album, what's the best way to support? Um, uh, I suppose you could go online to Last Night from Glasgow 
Records online store. Just Google in last night from Glasgow and it'll take you, give, give you links to their store. Uh, probably more of the money comes to me that way. But you can buy it on Amazon. Or it's, it's got distribution, national distribution. You can buy it in a record shop. If the record shop don't have it, you can ask them to order it and they'll get it. So easy access. It's also online. And for all those people who don't want to buy records anymore and don't want to spend money in supporting the artists, those guys, you can uh, do the usual Spotify. Boo. Spotify. I don't have Spotify. My records are on it, but I don't have it. Well, I, I haven't. I didn't. I had a one-man boycott Spotify. I tried to bring them down that way. Yeah. not uploading any of my music to them. But they won. I don't know if you no. heard, but Spotify beat me. Sometimes you, sometimes you know, if you've made all this music, you do want people to hear it. You know. Well, I think it just got it got to the point that it's just became so successful that it's undeniable mm -hmm. now. Yeah, and I agree. So what I've been doing recently is, for not making an album, is I'll bring it in Bandcamp first. I'll keep it private. Yeah. And I think that's quite a good way of um, rewarding the people that do support the album. They get to hear it before yeah. everybody. It's also a good way of bribing the yeah. fans to pay for it rather than stream it for free. And that also affects your streaming numbers as well. But What we did to like combat it in a way was um, a few months before the album was released, last night from Glasgow, did a pre-order thing. So if you pre-ordered the album, I, th I think it was on black vinyl, yellow vinyl and green vinyl and the green was a limited to like 100 copies on on vinyl but you could buy the cd and if you bought one of these in advance then you get sent the album out like five weeks early before the actual release date so a lot a lot of the fans of my music had the album and it in advance of the actual release date so amazing and you got to reward those people who are yeah. buying the vinyl and also, it's just good that it's okay. I mean, you can't you can't beat a vinyl, though, can you? I do like vinyl. I'll be honest. You know, I like CDs as well. I think there's room for both, and I buy both. When when I buy vinyl, I try to buy from indie bands who maybe self-release vinyl, and um, try and help support them rather than give it to corporate companies like Absolutely. Columbia. Well, I buy uh, CDs from bands, but I don't actually really listen to CD players. But I will listen to online. But I yeah. think if you buy the CD. Then you can listen to it in Spotify, guilt free. Yeah, because you already bought the CD. That's it. But I, I do like just the I do like just going through the front and the back, feeling a physical item, and also a special, you know, a local band or a band on tour. The worst thing about you know that, they know that that that, te that tenor or whatever is going to go a long way. Yeah, the worst thing about vinyl is the price. I mean, I like uh, Leon Bridges, right, uh, and his new album. The vinyl is thirty one ninety nine. The CD is ten ninety nine. So I bought the CD this time, but you know I bought these last couple on vinyl. But you know, well, so I suppose I don't know what I don't know how many is vinyl he's bought. But when you buy, you've got to buy a a load, and also it takes you're about nine months. You've got to think ahead. Yeah, that's it's right. Why it's the, the waiting list is now ridiculous. There's not enough pressing plants to keep up with the demand for vinyl now. Yeah. So, but I, I think the record companies are trying to like, you know push the CDs out the door because they don't earn as much on them. But, you know, if people started buying CDs again instead of vinyl, then the CD price would go up and the I, vinyl I, price would come down. I'm going after this interview, I'm going right to pick up my CDs for a, an album I've just made. So it, they, they are still there. CDs exist. Yeah. Go and buy the CDs. And they still sound great. Yeah. 
they still, as I can say, I mean, it was actually, it was a, I seen a scientist talk about that, the difference between digital and vinyl. Yeah. Now, obviously, I prefer vinyl as well because of that, that crackle, but it's all in our heads, though. Yeah. Well, it's that, just what the actual quality is, digital is. Your ears are just. See, see if you're listening to vinyl, vinyl's a much more compressed thing, so the CD's a, CD actually sounds better, but your ears adjust to it no matter what. You know, if you're listening to vinyl for 10 minutes, your ears are already like tuned into that. Conspiracy theory of yeah. the week. Do you think Spotify are bribing Apple to not put the CD player in the max? Are they bribing the car companies to ditch the CD player in the cars? Oh, they should never ditch the CD player in the cars. I mean, one of the best things is listening to music on CD in your car. I mean, sometimes it's worth just... When I did a, a, an album mastered, the first thing I would do is go and play it in the CD player in the car, drive around, listen to the mastered version, and make sure I was happy with it and stuff. So, The car, but, the car stereo test is important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bring back CDs. Buy a CD. <laughs> Your album out in CD? Uh, it's out in CD and vinyl. CD. Buy the vinyl. I make more money off the of vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it in vinyl. Buy, all, buy the lot. Some people have bought. Yeah, some the, people have bought the black vinyl, the green vinyl, the yellow vinyl, the CD, and the digital download. Those are the fans you want. They're the key workers. We salute you, key workers. They're the, they're You're the a key worker. I love the most. Yes, absolutely <laughs> amazing. Buy a CD. Buy all the vinyls, and then you can guilt-free stream it on Spotify. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Call that radio. You call that radio. You call that radio.